Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Lecture 23, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, a bonus conclusion. So last week we concluded... Our wonderful series. 21 weeks we spent doing one topic. And this will make 22 and we're done. But this is just an overview. I want to move on to something else. And I want to tell you what we're going to move on to next. But I want to recap um, what we just did again, but in a different manner. So here's what we argued for 21 weeks. What if? And the question was, or that was the subtitle, or the thesis to that was, what would be the message of the New Testament if it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And so what we discovered, we spent 21 weeks that you can't say justification by faith because that's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's not. It's not nowhere in there. You can't say uh, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ because then you totally eliminate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it's more than just about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's important. But there was also a life. And we spent a lot of time covering it. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go both up to a scholastic level and down um, to a layman's term and explain to you in one fatal swoop or final swoop of what 
is this gospel? That's what we've been arguing. That's what we've been asking ourselves. What is the gospel? And I want to make a lot of things make sense. A lot of unanswered questions that that we just struggle with today because of our theology of yesterday that we <clears throat> sometimes we messed it up, sometimes we did not. As long as man is doing anything, man's going to mess that thing up. Amen. No matter how awesome God is, the moment man put his hands on it, we're going we gonna to find a way to tear it up. Inadvertently or, or intentionally, we will mess it up. Amen. We have a good governmental system. As soon as you put man in there, it messes up. It's just something about it. <laughs> if you don't think so, just turn on the news and you will be proven incorrectly. So basically, and this is, and, I, and I'm excited, I've been excited about this series because we literally went five scriptures in Matthew, five in Mark, five in Luke and John respectively, and we found how the gospel was saying specific things. This is important because there was no Google in first century AD or antiquity. So you can live in a community that just had Mark's gospel and never know anything about Matthew's gospel. And so the gospel said the same thing, although there were some minor differences. That is not to say that the Bible is contradictory. That's not what I'm saying. But there are four different writers saying one gospel. Now, when you think about it that way, see, we think of it as gospels, plural. There's no gospels. There's one gospel. And it took four writers to preach the one gospel. And the early church accepted all four of these writings because there was one gospel. Does that make sense? So this is why we're going to 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. It's one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the world. And scholars call it the resurrection chapter. Paul, this Baptist preacher. No, he's not a Baptist preacher. I'm just joking because there's no denominations where Paul was talking. However, he really does sound like one of them old school preachers. I just can't wait to tell you how Jesus died. Lord have mercy. Every time you met Paul, Paul wanted to tell you about that Friday experience, how he died and he got up. You couldn't do anything to Paul but hear the fact that he died. And he got up, and Paul does it in the whole 15th chapter. Let's read how this starts. Oh, let me, before I do that, before I do that, <coughs> here's what we're going to do next week. And I don't know how many weeks it is yet. I'll know next week because I'm designing it right now. <laughs> Very controversial. I don't mean to do it, but we got to get to it. I want to argue, or we want to show, does God change his mind? I don't have a title for it yet, but that's what we're talking about. Yeah, buddy, for the next couple of, a uh, whole bunch of weeks. Does God change his mind? Because, right? Because we hear both, in, both yet and not, uh, both yay and nay. So we want to, but here's the deal. And everything we did in this series, it was completely textual, completely conservative. It was just what the Bible says. Um, same thing with the next week. It's just going to be what the Bible says. I get into a lot of trouble um, when I teach and preach because I only care about what the Bible says. I don't really put my, your philosophies in my theology. Does, does that make sense? I don't really. So when I see you doing things that doesn't line up with the Bible or does, the Bible doesn't actually say that, we just kind of adopted that through times of teaching and, and tradition. I go back to the Bible and I go, yeah, that's not in there. There's many examples about that. There's so many different examples about that one particular situation. Like one, one example is how we persecute gays, right? This is something that we deal with every day, every day we do it. 
And the Bible doesn't say do that. Um, amen. I don't mean to be controversial, but that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says love people back to wholeness. So amen, right? And then the Bible, we fall out about a whole bunch of stuff that's not even a salvation issue. I told you I'd get in trouble, right? So here's it here. We fall out about many things that have nothing to do with salvation, but we kick people out the church for it. Amen. And one of those issues is also maybe, possibly, one of the ones I just brought up. Either way, that's what we're going to talk about. God being, um, does he change his mind or not? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's read at verse 1 so we can recap or, uh, or repeat and then make sense of this whole gospel thing. Now, and this is English Standard Version, I, um, I like this version, but there's nothing that sounds prettier and, and most, more beautiful than the King James Version. It's just, it's just not a better sounding Bible. The cadence in it is wonderful, but this is English Standard Version. Now, I would remind you, brothers. Now, in Greek, that's um, the way it's like if you say, if I say, hey, guys, it's kind of one of those words that you can use to m mention both male and female. It's just. One of those things you do. Okay, this is, just, this is the same way. So, hey, brothers or brothers and sisters of the gospel. Now, here, now see, this is, this is, here's, here's what I need to get Of the gospel. Now, now, check this out. 1 Corinthians was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, don't miss this here because Luke himself says, Oh, Theophilus, I've come to you in the writing of according of a bunch of things, and all things considering, I've, I've dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's, and here is what we know of this gospel. Now, now, now check that out, because before there was a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before we have what we call the gospels, it was already being preached. Like, here's Paul saying, I want to remind you, so that means I've already said it, this has already been said, of... The gospel. Now, now, this is important. This is very important because before you, we get to our gospel, because it was written two generations after Jesus died. <clears throat> the first of these arguably was written about 50 A.D. Jesus died about 32. Here's the deal. The gospel was already something already there, something already preached, something that was already going on. And Paul is saying, I want to remind you that of this gospel that I preach to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are saved. Now, let's stop right there because we spent 21 weeks talking about what this gospel is. And Paul is going way more baby than what I said in 21 weeks. Listen, this is what you receive. This is by which you stand. And it's also what saves you. And this is important because Paul is saying, listen, there is no Matthew. There is no Mark. There is no Luke. There's no John. Everybody's reading Paul, listening to Paul, and they're also talking amongst themselves. Let's see if I can make that make sense in the 21st century talk. Whether you rich, poor, black, white, it doesn't matter. Everybody's talking about money. Does that make sense? Now, the problem is we don't talk about it the right way, or we do talk about it the right way, depending on your parents and, what, you know, our, our limited information. But everybody is talking about money. So money's been here. Always will be here. We'll be here when you're dead and gone. So there's something there already that we all need to discuss about money, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the same situation. Everybody's talking about the gospel, whether they're on the Roman side 
Well, let me not say Romans. I got a lot of Romans uh, convert to um, the gospel. Whether you're against the gospel or for the gospel or don't know nothing about the gospel, everybody is talking about the gospel. And Paul says, this is what we stand. This is what we preach. This is what we know. And by which, verse 2, <clears throat> excuse me, and by which you are saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now, all this is good, but verse 3 is what I want you to concentrate on. And then I open this up and make all this make sense. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, appeared to Cephas on the 12th, that he appeared to more than 500, and at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he goes on to say, he appears, he appears, he appears, verse 9, for I am the least of these apostles, Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, all that will preach, but verse 3 is important. Let's repeat it again. For I delivered to you, he's talking about this gospel, this whole time, of first important, what is in these scriptures? That Jesus, excuse me, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That's number one. Then he was buried, then raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. You can stop right there. You don't even have to look at your Bible no more. I'm going to make it all make sense. He doesn't call him Jesus. Not this time. <clears throat> we know he's talking about Jesus. One of the worst things that the church has ever done. It's been, it was on accident. It was total accident. We say Jesus Christ and we don't really know what it means. It's almost like it's his last name. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ would be more of a disambiguator. Um, so ambiguous, unclear. Dis to make something not unclear or make something, two double negatives, make something clear that was unclear. So Christ is a disambiguator. Also, it's a title. Okay. So title, this title Christ means, let's go backwards. It's Greek of the Hebrew word Messiah which means anointed one is what Pastor Temple likes to say, and it's completely accurate. But also, it means, if you take the Hebrew to English, it means king. So this Jesus, king. So now let's read this text again. You don't have to open your Bible, but I'll read it. It says, for I delivered unto you, first and more important, I receive also that king died for our sins. But, no, but watch how. See, see, so when you say the death, well, what's the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, fair enough. It is. Because he says the same thing. But Paul is saying way more. Paul said, yeah, he was born, he was died, he was uh, buried and raised. But Paul says it twice in this one verse. In accordance to scriptures. There's the power that we miss. See, Paul says that this Christ, in accordance to scriptures, he died. And rose again in accordance to scriptures. Paul is saying what's being preached has already been written about. And so what has happened was foretold 
And we're living in this era right now. But it's more, way more powerful, way more important than that. The gospel is way more than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Paul says, in accordance to scriptures. There was a time in life, Genesis chapter 12, very specific. So Genesis chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel. Nobody was saved. Okay, I put the air quotes. Nobody was saved. There were no Hebrews. There were no God's chosen people. So when Genesis chapter 12 happens, God stands up and picks out from Gentiles somebody who would be his people. This is powerful. This is important because we don't think about it this way. We think, well, I'm Christian. And we have this terrible problem. You'll fool around and you'll make Jesus Christ whatever you are naturally by accident. Jesus Christ, for some, is he's an American. Because you're an American. Right? He's just this, he's this, he, in fact, here, here's, here's a powerful way to say it. I want everybody to close your eyes, and I want you to picture an American. Okay, open your eyes. I thought that American did not look like you. Uh, <laughs> right? Right? For me, the American is this white guy in a cowboy hat with a big belt buckle. Right. Because because my dominant culture is that you understand what I'm saying? I am of the subculture and I'm not saying anything's wrong with this. I've just like when I go in the elevator. I listen to the dominant culture's music. Does that make sense? When I spend money, I spend it in most dominant cultures establishments. I, I the mere fact that I'm speaking English comes from the fact that Britain conquered, you know, this area and not somebody else. So basically, there's this culture that has happened. And so there was nothing. And then God said, all right, out of all you heathens, out of all you Gentiles, out of all you barbarians, all these words mean the same thing. Out of all you people that are not chosen of me, I'm picking one. His name's Abraham. And it was at that moment that God says in chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3, all right, I want to make you my God. And through you, all the world would be saved through your promised son, right? Kind of sounds like Christ because it's a, it's a precursor to the Christ. You have a father with a promised son who will save the world because the father who has his promised son will save the world. And so in the same manner in which the earth Abrahamic father, Abraham, had to sacrifice his son, but God said, stop. It's because it wasn't time for that promised son to be sacrificed. There was another promised son. Does this make that make sense? It was another promised son that was actually going to take on the sacrifice. And it wasn't Isaac. It was Yeshua. It was Jesus Christ. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. <clears throat> so everybody's in hell. Everybody's not saved. And then God says, yeah, you. And through you, I'm going to save everybody. But here's what we fooled around and did. We became racist. <clears throat> And we said, well, since I'm Hebrew, track my genealogy, I got it. And so the way I read it is, y'all need to come through us to be saved. We act like that still today. So don't, 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 don't just get mad at the Hebrew people because we'll fool around as church folk. And we'll push people out the church because they don't look like us, behave like us, sleep with the people we want them to sleep with, make the money we want them to make with. They don't smell like the smoke we want them to smoke. I'll come on, hey, amen. I don't even know push it too far, but you understand what I'm saying? They don't do some stuff that we want them to do. And so here's the issue. Here's how powerful your gospel is. So Paul is saying, listen, way back then, 
This gospel was already beginning. I've already proven to you that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And Jesus Christ is the gospel in himself. So before we ever sinned, the gospel already existed. That makes sense, right? Before we ever needed it, the Lord already supplied it. But before Genesis chapter 3 happened, the beginning, before anything happened, the gospel was with God himself and was God himself. This is powerful. Because now we're going to answer a bunch of questions. So Paul says, listen, in accordance to scriptures, two different times. In accordance to scriptures, he was born. According to scriptures, he was buried and raised. In accordance to the way God said it, this is important and this is what happened. Now this is powerful. Because through one man became a nation. Now we call them Hebrews or Jews, depending on which, if you're in the Old Testament, New Testament. And so through this nation... God was working his work to save all people. Without even thinking it, you just, good to see you back. Did you enjoy Denver? Okay, I messed up my whole Bible study so you could enjoy Denver. <laughs> she was just in Denver. Her, uh, her wedding anniversary. And look, I'm recording too, so now everybody know that you'll be in Denver. All the people that's going to be online. <laughs> her, her anniversary is July 7th because she actually got married on 7707. Amen. See, I clap for her. <laughs> and so she's from Denver, Colorado. So she's actually, she deserves to be a Denver Broncos fan. Oh, that's right. And look, Uncle, you spend plenty of time in Denver. Yeah, he's basically from Denver, got married and stuff in Denver. Amen. So, yeah. Yeah, so both of y'all. He likes the Broncos as well. Amen. Amen. I, now that I've been ruined my Sunday school. <laughs> now we got Kyle. Here's the deal. What Paul is saying, listen, all this stuff happened according to the scriptures. And so God had already been doing a work through Jesus, excuse me, through the nation of Israel before we knew it was through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So here's what's Paul. Before he sent his son, God already moved already in Genesis chapter 12. But then you can go back further because the mere fact that God made the Garden of Eden, God already gave us the gospel again. Does, it, does that make sense? So before, before there was sin, God was giving us the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is literally heaven on earth. Let's see if I can explain this. Adam was perfect because he was made without sin. God is perfect because he's God. His, he made all the world through his word and his hands. So that was, and the word is what, Pastor Temple? The Word is Jesus Christ, right? So, okay, so God made the world. So the, the perfect word made the world. God's perfect hand made the world, which means that the ground was perfect. God, the world was so perfect, God stepped back and said, it is good about 10, 12 times in Genesis chapter 1. Everything was perfect, which means it's literally heaven touching earth. Amen? Okay, so before there was ever sin, we had this great opportunity for perfection to be on earth. Does that make sense? Okay, so we had one world in which both the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God existed at the same place at the same time in perfect harmony. Amen. The point of the Bible, is for, especially Revelation, says, I'm going to restore, this is why I saw, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the heaven and the earth had passed away, and I saw the new Jerusalem descending upon earth. I'm going to bring this back. We got two worlds now, because sin made... You say up went God, down with man. Fair enough. And so basically, I'm going to take these two worlds, and I'm going to bring it back to one, and then the world shall end with being the age to come. 
because my two creations will now go back to one creation, thus proving again there's something that God had already been doing. Does that make sense? Everything I've said thus far had nothing to do with your decision to accept Jesus Christ. I'm purposely leaving that out because I'm trying to show you the gospel. Okay, so we've messed around and we said <coughs> the gospel is set Jesus Christ. That salvation, salvation is a byproduct of the gospel. It is not the gospel. If I lose weight because I have fasted, I've lost weight because I have fasted. It was not the point of my fast. Does that make sense? Okay, it's the same thing as salvation. Salvation is a byproduct of the gospel. Salvation is the benefit of something I'm getting ready to explain that makes sense, okay? So what is this something I'm getting ready to explain that makes sense? I just proved to you all this stuff. God is doing stuff that you're too dead or too weak to do yourself. Does that make sense? You couldn't create the world, so God did it. You couldn't be Jesus Christ, so God did it. You couldn't be in the beginning with him, so God did it himself. You couldn't create Adam, so God did it. You couldn't call Abraham, so God did it. You couldn't give the law, so God did it. You couldn't live up to the law, so God did it through Jesus Christ. You couldn't die for your sins, so God did it. And you couldn't raise because you don't have the power, so God did it. Nothing that you do has your power for salvation, so we're pretty much preaching a lot of this stuff wrong. We put too much emphasis on our acceptance of Jesus Christ, missing the fact that we're too dead to accept him unless God does something first. Here's an Old Testament example. Jonah was told to go meet the people in Nineveh and give them a word that would give them salvation. The problem was Jonah didn't want to do that. Now, forget the rest of the story. Let's just get to here. They ended up being saved when Jonah preached a word so cold, a whole city repented. And that's a, that's a powerful sermon there. Whew, that has to be a great sermon. I, Lord, endow me with that power. <laughs> we'll fix this whole Galveston, Texas right now. <laughs> the whole nation. I go to the White House and scream to the top. If I can have it, I don't have that kind of power just yet. Amen. We don't know what the Lord's going to do. Right? But the point is, before they were saved, God called the man. Did you get that? Before they realized they needed to be saved, God was already moving. That's the gospel. Now let's make all this make sense. I purposely left out your confessional responsibility of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the full meta narrative, big story, overarching story of what God was already doing through his creation restoring his creation through the nation of Israel, taking it all the way through to the culmination of Jesus Christ and now through the work of his church. So basically, the gospel is something God has done. And whether you get your life together or not, the gospel will be preached. And the gospel will save lives because the gospel has nothing to do with you he just made sure it benefits you. Does that make sense? Here's how I make it make sense anymore. Now we can explain. If, if you take that the gospel is what God has done, and you have the opportunity to respond to it, that means God acted in your deadness 
And now you have an opportunity because now you can realize you are dead because he moved first. Old folk been saying that this, we got songs been saying, I love him because he first loved me. See, all this stuff is starting to make sense now because since he first created the world, you can live in it. Because he first created an opportunity for salvation, you can benefit from it. Right? And so here's the problem. Well, here's the problem, and I'm going to answer the problem at the same time. When you think about that the gospel it's like when, when, God, when the Bible says, I make rocks cry out. When you think about the gospel of what God is doing and not what you're doing, you put the power of the gospel back in God's hand, and then you realize something. You now have an opportunity to explain stuff you can't explain. Let's go with it. Your child is, has a brain injury, no longer has the ability to speak or cognitively deduce natural thoughts. Will we agree that there are children? In the world, like this here, they cannot talk. Some of them have swallowing disorders. They, can't, they have to be fed through tubes. A amen, right? This, this is an actual story. Or, or okay, so you have uh, another child. He's okay, uh, but, but it's not it's something, I really hate the word normal because that's, that's, that's a stupid word that we put out there. However, it's not something that we call normal, so we, we doubt the whole time. Okay? Or, child dies at three. Okay, all these situations doesn't let this child confess, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So you're stuck with the question, is my child saved? Now, fair question. If your theology is hinged, if the gospel is hinged on you confessing, now I'm not saying that you don't need to confess, just to keep listening. If the gospel is hinged upon what you do, then all of us are messed off because <laughs> even in my confession I'm still so stupid and dead I still ain't gonna get it right and if I leave my salvation up to me I'll wait till the last minute to get this thing right and of course none of us knows that hour when the Lord's gonna come right but but what if what if not let's let's, let's see if we can get a little what if life actually starts at conception great argument and what if I died in the womb Okay, now I don't have a time to confess. I don't have time to do any of these things. So here's this great explanation of what the gospel could do. Since God already did it, we've got some grace. Does that make sense? Because the gospel is not hinged upon this baby not being able to confess. The gospel was already done way before then. And so we benefit from the gospel and the salvation is just a byproduct. This is why you can be on the island and never know Jesus, see Jesus, never get the Bible. Right now, today, we have 2,273, 2,273 languages that do not have the written word. We have, not, we have yet to translate God's word into their language. Basically, scientifically, they are not getting the gospel. They are not getting the word of God. Yet... God says he will reveal himself to them. That's biblical. Amen? Does that make sense? How? That ain't in our responsibility. The fact that he will is us to rejoice in this gospel. To give you some more scientific evidence. <clears throat> From 500 A.D. to 1521, when Martin Luther got angry, translated the Latin Bible into German in this tower, and then gave the German people, which was the common people in this area, the opportunity to finally read the word for their own. 
Until then, the Bible was predominantly and only in Latin. And mass was in Latin. And so everything you heard was in Latin. And if you did not speak Latin, you did not hear the word. So it would be awful to say we just start getting saved after 1521. Does that make sense? Okay. Right. I mean, this, this, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to prove you wrong. I'm just throwing some weird stuff out there that we, we're not able to answer if we're not able to confess. Jesus Christ. Here's another example. David, King David, he never confessed that Jesus Christ said it. It's before Christ. So, question, a fair question would be, is David in hell? I've, I've actually, I've got I've members that ask me this question. Are the people in the Old Testament, are they in heaven? Like, if you haven't ever wondered that, it's a fair question. It's a very fair question because the Bible don't even start talking about stuff like that to the New Testament. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. So if you don't get to confess, if you're born before Jesus, then you don't get to confess Jesus or believe in Jesus. So the gospel has to be something more than just Jesus, but always been Jesus. Like that's the, that's the power. It's not just him, but we can't discount him because he is the very embodiment of it. And he always was, always has been, always will be. Does that make sense? So. In conclusion, here's, here's how powerful, this is why I went through all this stuff for the next 20, or last 21 weeks, and this is why I'm concluding this way. You're able to answer questions that you're not able to answer when you fully understand what the gospel is. When you fully understand that God has done something, whether you get your act together or not, you tend to get your act together so you can treat people better. Amen. See, see when, when God, so, okay, let's bring up, so, so there's some hot button issues today. We've got uh, cops killing blacks. Now we got blacks killing cops. Um, we've got legalization of marijuana. <clears throat> got legalization of gay marriage. You've got all these things. And if you don't have correct theology, you start treating people wrong. You start looking at people because they sin, and you become the biggest sinner in the room because you're beating people up with the Bible, and you're not embodying the gospel. Amen. You start getting on me because I had a baby out of wedlock, in which you should. But you start persecuting Amen. me in which you should not. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, that's not to say I'm not supposed to be persecuted because for they who persecuted Jesus Christ, therefore you would be persecuted as well. Right? That's in the Beatitudes. They persecute him, they persecute me. However, you're not supposed to walk around persecuting people. Does that make sense? So the gospel is simple. The gospel is what God has already done. Didn't have to use us, but he did. We messed it up. He fixed it up. We messed it up again, and he still sticks with us. And when you look at our world today, we still messing it up, yet there's still people like you actually living the gospel and where someone has been shut down by the church, you pick them up with the gospel, which is the actual church, the big C church. So we're going to have to get to the point which we realize that the gospel is way bigger than just confessing it. You need to confess it. But God is so smart. He understood that some of us wouldn't be able to confess it. We wouldn't even be able to talk. 
Some of us would die stillborn. And so there's a, there's a gospel that the Lord has done to both include the included and include the excluded. And that is the real power of the gospel. Not that you deserve it, because you do not. Not that you have any power over it, because you do not. But that you benefit from it, and you have power to hand it to others. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that we understand that your gospel is bigger than us, but including us. We can't handle it, but you give it to us anyway. And then you trust us to handle it. And every now and then we do a good job. God, you don't have to use us in any bit of your plans, but you do. You don't have to let us live, but you do. You didn't have to let our ancestors live, but you did. You could have ended us all. Matter of fact, we did so much this morning alone. But you still let us walk in this place. Because your gospel will always include our mistakes. In the name of Jesus, amen. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training. And I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates 
up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.